one step in this long progress. It's been a team effort by us all the way. We're but part of the whole team that's worked so hard. The shuttle era will come to an end. But they won't stop inspiring, and they won't stop being a part of the fabric of America. We choose to go to the moon. everybody to another episode of the Talking Space podcast. This is Talking Space episode 541 for the week of Monday, December 23rd, 2013. It's Christmas week and not only that, it is the end of season number 5. I am Sawyer Rosenstein and joining me tonight is Gene McCulka. Welcome Gene. Merry Christmas, Happy Kwanzaa, or whatever you're celebrating out there. Uh, thanks for being on board and pleased to be a part of your holiday. Thanks for listening. Oh, yes, indeed. Happy whatever you're celebrating. And welcome as well, Mark Ratterman. Ditto, ditto, and good to be here. Glad to have you with us indeed. So, let's get things started right away because we had some major news that happened in the last couple of weeks. We hope you enjoyed our science update last week. But as was briefly mentioned, on top of that, we had a launch that was supposed to occur with Orbital Sciences. We also had a spacewalk, and all of this was a result of another incident, and I'll let Gene elaborate on this. Yeah, thanks a lot, Sawyer. Uh, well, back on, uh, I believe it was December 11th, uh, we had a little bit of a issue with one of the uh, International Space Station's coolant systems. Now, there are uh, two coolant systems on board the ISS, uh, Loop A and Loop B. Loop A is the primary, and Loop B obviously is the secondary, but when primary went out, it, uh, you, had, you had to go ahead and co- it uh, basically caused some experiments to shut down, so the station was sort of powered down, as, as it were. Um, it is sort of flying on its uh, spare tire right now, if you will. A lot of uh, over-dramatizations were made by some in the mainstream media that made it really, really sound like this was something that was absolutely, totally, you know, outside the experience and you know, the, the whole thing was really, really critical, and, and it was almost, the, the, some of the media were, were trying to paint this as almost like an Apollo 13 type thing, which was really not the case at all. In fact, uh, uh, just after the event, uh, uh, Rick Mastracchio was talking to the press and basically said, well, you know, we've had to shut down a few experiments up here and, and uh, do some things that... Uh, well, we wouldn't really want to be doing, but uh, uh, the only thing impacted right now is is the science collection, because some of the science had to be shut down. Also at that time, we were expecting to launch Orbital Sciences Cygnus spacecraft, this one named after uh, the late astronaut Gordon Fullerton, was supposed to launch, uh, I believe Sawyer helped me out here with the date, I think we had several launch dates. Uh, that that were in the pipeline for the past week, and unfortunately, due to um, due to this coolant pump pump problem, the uh, the uh, space station management office felt 
that the ISS just was not in a good configuration to accept the Cygnus spacecraft. So instead of you know, running on the spare tire when Cygnus arrives, it would really want to have that, that coolant, that main coolant loop up and running. So the decision was made uh, to postpone uh, the Cygnus uh, spacecraft launch and uh, go ahead and work on the, uh, the coolant loop problem and uh, uh, perform mission managers figured was going to be about three e uh, EVAs or extra vehicular activities, a.k.a. spacewalks for folks that are sort of wondering what that term means, to go out and fix the problem. Now, a similar issue took place back in 2010 with the same coolant loop, and I believe it, it may have been the same pump. And uh, it took three spacewalks to go ahead and uh, and make that that repair. The good news on this is that um, this is one of the activities that uh, the uh, the astronauts train for in uh, in their uh, pre in their pre flight training. So they do know they're kind of familiar with with uh, with the process and the procedures. Uh, the road was sort of paved by uh, uh, two astronauts as well, uh, uh, Doug Wheelock and Tracy Caldwell Dyson who uh, uh, performed the very first EVA to go out and fix this, uh, this pump. The EVA was scheduled for uh, this past weekend, in fact, just yesterday as we record this, just Saturday, and uh, it went extraordinarily well. Um, Rick Mastracchio and uh, Mark Hopkins were the, uh, the uh, uh, two astronauts that conducted the EVA, and uh, uh, Doug Wheelock was the uh, choreographer on this one from the ground. Uh, they couldn't have asked for a better person to go ahead and do that because, again, he was the one that uh, did this precise activity back in 2010. And NASA Television actually had uh, Tracy Caldwell Dyson also doing some of the color for the EVA uh, next to uh, Josh Byerly, the uh, public affairs officer. And I thought, wow, that was... That was a genius move. So you had both um, both of the astronauts that had done this activity before in the room uh, while this EVA was going on to make sure things went well. And uh, what they thought was going to be about a six-hour EVA uh, just to do the first activity. Now, the first activity was just to um, get the area ready or get the pump area ready to... Uh, um, you know, to be removed, it um, basically entailed getting the pump off of the uh, the ammonia the ammonia coolant loop and uh, replacing the uh, the pump with a small jumper, uh, basically, so the ammonia liquid could move through the system but not through any of the pumps. Um, and then. Uh, uh, just, that would really be about it. Just go ahead and make sure that uh, the jumper, uh, you know, just place insulation around the jumper. And uh, there was specific insulation this time, uh, or or a specific device. I forget exactly what the acronym was called, but uh, there was a specific uh, uh, thermal cover that was designed for this. Whereas on the um, on the first EVA they did in 2010, it was just all jury rigged. Um, obviously, you want to go ahead and have that, that thermal cover there because you know, you're going in from orbital daylight to orbital nighttime uh, you know, constantly. So 
uh, you want to protect that area. So uh, the idea was to go ahead and place the thermal cover around the site and around, around the jumper and then call it a day. Well, things moved so smartly during this, e this EVA that they got the, uh, the jumper installed. The quick, you know, the quick disconnects came off like that because, <laughs> if I recall exactly, the first time they did this, I think it was one of the, the connectors, I think the M3 connector, was just not coming off, and they really, really had a battle with it until finally it, it just finally popped off. And I believe during the uh, the EVA, the the reason for that was the uh, the pressure inside the system. Uh, they had since lowered that pressure inside the system there, and that made for for a much easier time of getting all the quick disconnects off. That part of it went absolutely swimmingly, so so well, as a matter of fact, that uh, the the just did the get-ahead task and and uh, pulled the pump out and placed it on a uh, a storage uh, platform uh, and secured the pump to that platform. In fact, I think the only issue was going on that uh, was uh, with Rick, Rick Mastracchio's uh, spacesuit, and he had been complaining that his extremities, basically his uh, his fingers and and toes, were really really cold at one point, and. Uh, uh, so the idea was like, well, all right, um, since this seems to be a persistent problem, maybe we should just go ahead and cut this puppy short. And that's what they did. They just wanted to find out what was going on. And sure enough, Sawyer, I think you had, when we were talking about on the pre-show, unfortunately, my internet connection was kind of um, <laughs> was kind of spotty toward the end, and I didn't quite catch the whole thing. And like, for instance, uh, uh, when the crew was uh, asked to come back in and you know go through the uh, the repress and all that, I believe they actually did find a fault with the suit, which has led to a delay in the second um, uh, spacewalk, which is which was originally scheduled, I believe, for for the twenty third. And now they've pushed that up to the 24th. The good part of that is, number one, the crew's going to have off Christmas because originally the game plan called for um, three EVAs and the, and, and the last EVA in the series to occur Christmas Day. Um, as it is now, the, the, the second EVA in the series is going to occur Christmas Eve. And if that one goes as well as yesterday's spacewalk went, we might need we might need only two spacewalks to go ahead and and complete the job but it's something we're going to go ahead we're going to keep an eye on we're going to monitor and uh we'll bring you back uh, all of the details uh, <laughs> next time we see you but um for now um we're kind of postponed we're kind of postponed a little bit and uh uh, with this little story, so stay tuned. Uh, it also looks like that uh, Orbital Sciences will launch the Cygnus spacecraft uh, Gordon Fullerton um, on, I believe, January 7th. So uh, we're hoping to be there for that, and uh, we'll bring that to you, and uh, the sights and sounds, and uh, we're kind of excited about bringing that to you as well. So Stay tuned. We've got some pretty exciting things coming up for next year. So right now, that's, that's the recap I have on the ISS and uh, its current situation. And uh, I'm going to throw it back to you, Sawyer. A lot of information in there. Thank you, Gene. Yeah, yeah that, that summarized most of it. I, I was planning on being there for the launch of Orb 1, but 
that may not happen for me now. However, as Gene mentioned, there's a lot of great stuff coming in uh, in 2014 on that. But, I mean, I have to go back to something you mentioned at the very beginning of that, and that's the media. And they were all saying, oh, it's an urgent spacewalk, and they're in danger, and, you know, all of these things to try and jump out at you. They were never in danger. According to NASA, they were fine. According to Rick, as you mentioned in his interview, Rick Mastracchio, they said everything was fine. They weren't worried about it. It's no big deal. And it wasn't. You know, they, they're working on getting the station back online. And as they mentioned, this is one of the main components of the space station that they have listed as will eventually fail just because of old age and that we know what to do. And they were ready. Yeah, sorry, just to add something very, very quickly. One article I saw out there uh, tried to go ahead and say, well, the space station is now showing its age and all this. That's a lot of hooey in plain English. Um, this is a pump problem they've had before. Uh, it's been bulky. It's been odd. It's been weird. The article made it sound like, you know, the ISS is almost like, you know, the mere space station and toward the end of its life where it was getting decrepit and all this. And uh, nothing was further from the truth on that, by the way. Uh, in fact, uh, just uh, uh, this past summer uh, at, one of an, at an event, uh, one of the, uh, the ISS astronauts basically said that if they did decide to uh, increase the ISS's li lifetime past 2020, he felt that it was, it was I think that was Tom Moshburn, Mosh um, basically said he felt that the ISS could probably do it. A couple of words, don't believe the hype. And if I could just comment on one more thing, is that one of the main concerns about the spacewalk is the fact that NASA had said, no, we're not doing a spacewalk until we get all the new parts up for the spacesuit and get everything, you know, taken care of after Luca Parmentano nearly drowned inside his in the last spacewalk earlier this year. However, to do the spacewalk, they did make some changes. They had an absorbent pad on the back of their heads, so that way if water did leak, it would absorb it. And they would frequently check to see if it was squishy or wet, because at 200 milliliters of the 800 it could absorb, it starts to feel wet. If so, that's an indicator to go in. The other one was that they included a snorkel. So basically, the snorkel would be pointing down in the suit, more towards their waist area in the bottom. So that way, if the top does become full of water, they can still breathe some air if it becomes that bad as they try and make their way back in. I found that to be a, an interesting solution, especially the snorkel. <laughs> yeah, I believe uh, no stranger to this program, uh, former astronaut Tom Jones, did an interview for Fox News, and uh, he kind of called the snorkel a little bit on the overkill side, but uh, he, uh, I think he may have uh, given, given some kudos to the, to the pad idea. Um, again, sir, thank you for bringing that up. I almost forgot about that. Um, yeah, these were precautions after what happened uh, on, on the EVA with Luca Parmitano, and they still really haven't isolated that particular gremlin yet. So a lot of this was, was precautionary and uh, I'll applaud NASA for, for doing everything they did, they did to make sure that uh, there were no problems during the, uh, the EVA due to that, uh, that water leakage issue and uh, they have and uh, they, they took all due diligence and uh, uh, hats off to them. Yep, I just found their solutions interesting uh, and they're up and going and 
Even though they had the other issue with the spacesuit, the suits didn't leak any water, so that's a good start. And uh, let's hope all of the rest of their spacewalks go well and that the ISS will be back up and running soon so that Orbital can launch in January. And now we continue on. We're going to move out a little bit past the International Space Station and we're going to move on to the rest of the Milky Way galaxy. Well, that seems kind of like a large area to cover, right? You know, there's billions of stars. Well, that's exactly what ESA is doing with its Gaia spacecraft, which successfully launched from the Guiana Space Center aboard a Soyuz Fregate rocket and booster at 4.12 a.m. Eastern Time, or 9.12 GMT. And that lifted off just a few days ago on Thursday, December 19th uh, is the 6th Soyuz, in fact, to launch from that space center and the 25th science mission for the European Space Agency. Now, this science mission, although it may be the 25th that was launched, has been in the work since the 1990s and is basically going to be a cosmic hunter, in a way, to try and map the Milky Way in 3D to come up with the most complete map to date of the Milky Way galaxy and the stars in it. Because it's estimated that there is somewhere between 100 to 200 billion stars. So they're saying that they're only going to be able to observe between one half and one percent of that, but that's still in the billions. So a big mission ahead for ESA's Gaia spacecraft, and it is on its way. Yeah, indeed, Sawyer. Wish, uh, I'm wishing ESA all the best on this particular mission. It's uh, uh, going to be an exciting mission for astronomy and a Really exciting mission to go ahead and, and take a full inventory, if you will, of, uh, of really how many stars are out there. And uh, not only how many stars are out there, too, but uh, you know, their, uh, their place on the, on the infamous Hertzsprung-Russell diagram. And it could help us out a little bit, too, in, uh, in pointing, perhaps, our, uh, our planet finders in the not-too-distant future as well. So uh, hats off to ESA, and we'll be watching the mission with, uh, with really, really great interest. Oh, yeah. And uh, keep in mind, this will not be in Earth orbit. This will be in L2, which is the Grange Point 2 orbit while it does its observations. And they're not just planning on getting stars, according to their scientists there, because they're looking at possibly discovering tens of thousands of brown dwarfs, maybe about 20,000 supernovas, and all this information is from spaceflightnow.com, but there's a plenty load of information that they can get to help us better understand, basically, our neighborhood. And the more we know about our neighborhood, the better uh, we're all it's, we're going to be, uh, as far as uh, trying to understand how many stars are in, in this, uh, this neck of the woods. So, And again, this will be a great thing for our for our planet hunters as well. So uh, looking again, looking forward to uh, to uh, the data coming back. Oh yeah, and all the best of luck to ESA. So then we move on. We started off with NASA, then to ESA, now to China, and to Mark. Well, in honor of some uh, quite significant accomplishments, and of course we've talked about the the Chinese mission to send a lander and rover to the moon. And, of course, I'm talking about Chang'e 3, which launched on the 1st of December. They went into orbit around the moon on the 6th of December, landed on the 14th of December successfully, 
And that's no easy thing. I remember hearing the commentators uh, of the, the Chinese TV that was providing the live stream talking about how difficult this was and that there was no guarantee that they would be successful. But they fully expected that they were doing their best and that if they weren't successful, they would still be learning from the process. Well, kudos. They did good. Now, just some interesting trivia, and then I'm going to take you back in time. Uh, coming up on the 25th of December, our own lunar orbiter, LRO, is going to be over the landing site. It'll also be over the landing site on the 22nd of January and the 18th of February. And the mission for this lander is one year for the lander itself. The rover, they show a three-month mission for the rover. And there are some instruments on those two uh, equipments that are going to be providing some science. And it'd be nice uh, to hear some of the success there. <laughs> Speaking of hearing of things, I did notice some news that came out of some Chinese agencies that following the launch that there were, uh, I suppose it's out in rural areas of China, but there was launch debris from the uh, Long March rocket that impacted structures and property and uh, the uh, space agency or the government was paying off the local folks that were affected by things falling out of the sky surprisingly from that launch not to take anything away from them but you know when you're not right there on the ocean of course on the ocean you're not exactly sure what comes out of the sky and splashes down but over land yeah, there are some things apparently that do that do come down the rover which goes by the name YouTube, which means Jade Rabbit, has a history that goes back to July 20th, 1969. Probably goes back beyond that. But what I've got for you, if that date sounds familiar, yeah, you're right, it is. July 20th, 1969 was the day that our very own Apollo 11 crew landed on the moon. And what I have for you is a audio clip taken from the Apollo Flight Journal, history.nasa.gov. And it says here, Apollo 11, Day 5, Part 1, Preparations for Landing. And the transcript commences soon after the end of the crew's rest period, leading to wake up on Flight Day 5. The crew report on various systems. They receive the morning news from Mission Control. And that's what this clip is part of. So, amongst the news, listen to this. Among the, uh, Roger. Among the uh, large headlines concerning Apollo this morning is one asking that you watch for a lovely girl with a big rabbit. An ancient legend says a beautiful Chinese girl called Chang'o has been living there for 4,000 years. It seems uh, she was banished to the moon because she stole the pill of immortality from her husband. You might also look for her companion, a large Chinese rabbit, who is easy to spot since he is always standing on his hind feet in the shade of a cinnamon tree. The name of the rabbit is not reported. Okay, we'll keep a close eye for the bunny girl. <laughs> Roger. And the voice that responded there at the end that, uh, okay, we'll keep a close eye out for the bunny girl, that was Mike Collins. 
And uh, the time hack on that is 95 hours, 18 minutes, and 15 seconds into their flight. So a little Apollo 11 nostalgia for you. Congratulations to the Chinese on the success of their mission. And also a bit of a teaser. I've got something that I'll be sharing with our listeners in one to two weeks. And it relates to NASA. No surprise there. Apollo and a little bit of shuttle. So look for that. Something I've been holding back, saving, and I think you'll enjoy it. Ooh, okay. Now I'm intrigued. I'm going to have to go ahead and uh, uh, brace myself and uh, hold on to my hat here, Mark. Another surprise for uh, 2014. We'll have to take a look at it. I have a feeling we have a good episode 601 coming up. Oh, boy, do we ever. Um, just to add something to that uh, little report really fast, um, this was actually brought up, you know, the whole idea of China landing on the moon uh, was brought up uh, by the outgoing uh, representative who uh, leads the uh, House uh, Science Committee, Representative Frank Wolf. He recently wrote the, uh, the White House, specifically President Obama, and uh, I'm getting this news from uh, Space Policy Online. Um, and uh, there's a, a, an actual copy of the letter dated uh, September 19th, 2013. Um, I would suggest that uh, uh, if you get a chance, go ahead and take a, and take a look at it. But uh, in the note, Congressman Wolf notes that, indeed, uh, you know, this is a great achievement for the Chinese people. However, keep in mind, too, that... The Chinese uh, space program is run by the military. It's not a civilian outfit um, like, say, ESA is or JAXA or even our own uh, National Aeronautics and Space Administration here in the United States. Um, and he, fear, he writes saying, quote, the Cold War may have ended, uh, but uh, the, the uh, uh, authoritarian regimes have not. And, you know, he looks at China as such. Um, but um, he is urging in this letter that uh, the Obama administration basically take a second look at this asteroid mission and try to basically call it off as a bad idea. And uh, uh, he is urging the president to, in the, in the coming new year, hold an event with a lot of engineers and scientists and so on to um, not just with, within NASA, but within ESA, within Roscosmos, within JAXA, with all of the major players in the International Space Station, all the major players there with the uh, International Space Station to team up, join forces, and shoot for the moon. Um, so it, he feels that uh, this is going to be a far much, much more compelling mission than the asteroid mission will be. And if all of the nations uh, that contributed to the International Space Station so spectacularly well can also do this for a lunar effort, then you know it has other implications too in his eyes. He's saying that instead of going with, with China, for instance, on possibly other endeavors, they'll still come back to the United States and partner with us to do other things. So in his eyes, to partner with a lunar mission um, is something that, number one, 
a lot of these countries want to do. But number two, it's something that uh, I think a lot of these countries would want to do with the United States. Now, that may sound a bit jingoistic from some, by somebody coming from the United States, but the idea that uh, Congressman Wolf is putting forward is saying that, well, these other nations have similar ideas and similar ideologies to ours, whereas maybe not so much with China because of other certain political things, which I'm not going to go into right now on this program, and this is probably the wrong forum to do it in. But um, the idea is to keep the ISS group of nations together on another technological challenge, and that technological challenge would be getting to the lunar surface with humans. Congressman Wolf has convinced this is the way to go. And in fact, at the bottom of the letter, um, he writes in handwriting. And uh, give me a moment. I'll scroll down here real fast because I'm looking at the letter right now. He writes, quote, This is a sincere good faith request, which I know would be good for the country. Thank you. The ending of the note invokes Kennedy's uh, uh, assertion about going, going to the moon to begin with, and he feels that uh, um, this would be a, a good thing to do. In fact, he's still alarmed of the fact that we just don't seem to have a direction in the manned program right now. And a lot of people just don't think the asteroid program is a good mission long term. So he's putting this together as a viable alternative and he thinks that he'll get a lot of that a lot of the, the nations that are currently part of the ISS consortium will jump on board this particular program and not decide to partner say with China on other other things i mean we're we're seeing it right now where isis had to uh, partner with well roscosmos because of uh, you know the problems with uh, that we've been having putting together, you know, getting money for uh, for the ExoMars mission. And that's just, you know, a small symptom of what's going on out there. So, again, Mark, you, you've kind of brought uh, brought a, a little thing to light, even a little bit of a piece of history there, and it's sort of like history coming back to meet us once more today. So, again, thanks a lot for, uh, for bringing that, uh, that part up. I appreciate it. And if I could just throw in, in case anybody didn't see, there was a... Uh... There was a display of uh, the Jade Rabbit in China earlier this year, and in it they showed it, you know, with the Earth in the background. Uh, can I just note that the stock image that they used did show Europe being annihilated by a nuclear weapon? Yeah, that was one big oops. Yeah. And, um, yeah. And um, it, it was either either a big oops or mm, a little bit of a dig. This is China. You never know. Um, so I, I, I don't know, uh, what that was. I, I remember seeing the display out there. It was in several media outlets and, um, you know, shoot, I'm, I, that, that really, really raised my eyebrows a little bit and it really, really got my attention, so to speak. So I'm not too sure what the message was there. Either it was like, either it was a big PR oops which you know, theoretically could be because, again, the Chinese army is not exactly the most adept at, uh, at PR. You know, you never know. I'm, I'm just going to leave that up to our listeners to 
to ponder and uh, and to chew on for next year. I personally think just a error, but uh, again, I don't personally know. Okay then, so we do want to address a listener letter. And I wasn't sure whether to include this or not, but Gene said go ahead. So I am going to read this letter. We do have the person's full name, but they signed the letter M, so we will go by that and call this person M. Uh, They say, in reference to a discussion from a couple of episodes ago, quote, Glad planetary science is defunded and you pathological space freaks have no NASA to speak of. I am a guy who, bleeping, even though we do not necessarily curse, we will put that in there to keep our clean rating on iTunes, I am a guy who bleeping hates the government wasting my money. Wah, suck it up. That feeling is how I feel every time we launch $750 billion into space. Happy holidays. Tell all the rascal science presenters to get a job. M. Now, you wanted me to read this, Gene, so I'll allow you to address this first. Yeah, the reason why, Sawyer, I wanted you to go ahead and read that out is, quite frankly, you know, number one, it's a uh, an indicator of, of, I think, a lot of... Uh, 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 what a lot of people think of uh, of NASA that don't listen to this program or don't really give a flip about spaceflight in general, and this is what we're fighting against. That's that's number one. Um, number two is I always have said from the very beginning that uh, we welcome opposing viewpoints here on this, and you can't get any more opposing viewpoints than that. Um, but this is this is just a, a clear indication of uh, what I think the general public thinks that NASA does. They think it just go, goes ahead and wastes money on, on, on space. I, I get the idea that, that people think we, we put you know, money bags in these capsules and launch them into orbit. That is just so far from the truth that it's, it's almost ridiculous. Uh, as far as wasting money, well, yeah, every government agency has wasted money. However, if you look at um, how much money really, really goes in to NASA uh, as far as your current tax dollar is concerned, I think it amounts to something like, uh, what, 0.5% of the tax dollars that you sent. I think it's less than half a penny goes to the National Aeronautics and Space Administration out of your tax dollar, period. So um, even if you were to shut down the entire agency tomorrow, okay, and I'm speaking to you directly, Mr. M, it would not go ahead and do anything at all to, uh, to combating the, uh, the budget woes we current ha- currently have, the deficit that we currently have, and so on. Uh, in fact, I think it would probably add to it because number one, you'd have costs to go ahead and shut the whole thing down to begin with anyway. Just, I mean, we, we you know, I'll, I'll, I'll go ahead and dredge up from my own memory. Uh, we just closed down a, a military base here in New Jersey not a while back ago, and it actually cost more to shut it down than it did to operate. Uh, that military base here was Fort Monmouth. But um, even if you were to shut the whole thing down tomorrow, uh, it would not save anything. In fact, as you can hear, we've got new players coming online in, in the space field uh, almost every day now. So do we who help pioneer this field want to step off of it? I think not. Uh, that's, 
And that would just be absolutely outrageous. Number two is it is critical for, for an economic uh, standpoint to continue the program. It is critical from a national security standpoint to, to continue the space program. Um, I can go into a lot of specifics on both fronts. You know, as far as spinoffs are, are concerned, Am, um, I'm going to invite you to go ahead and take a look at uh, uh, the NASA website and check out all the technology spinoffs there were. And I'll bet you you used a computer to write me. Um, if you know anybody with a pacemaker, if you know anybody that uses GPS, if you know anybody that you know, um, uses toothpaste, uh, guess what? Your world has been touched by the National Aeronautics and Space Administration. NASA technology is so deep into our, uh, our everyday life, it's absolutely you know, ridiculous. Everything from our plumbing to our electrical systems, everything can be traced back back to a NASA effort. So, uh, you know, as far as you know, space being worthless and, and space not touching you in any way, shape, or form, I can't think of any, you know, <laughs> any more wrong answer than, than the one you've delivered. Well, this is what folks like uh, us, unfortunately, who, who believe in the program and really, really want to go ahead and make sure it succeeds combat on an everyday basis. I believe in the last program we discussed this a little bit whereas uh, you know I, I go to events and you know wearing either a NASA cap or something along those lines and I get stopped and and people ask me you know didn't that stop you know don't we do we don't do that anymore right well no we do and not everybody understands that we have Dream Chaser we have uh, the Dragon we have have CST-100, we have the, the Orion multipurpose crew vehicle that NASA's building. All of this is in the pipeline. So we're not exactly twiddling our thumbs when it comes to uh, piloted uh, space down here. We also have the, uh, the space launch system under development currently, which is, for those of you who don't know, is a Saturn V class booster that hopefully will be part of a interplanetary reach, possibly going back to the moon, possibly going to Mars um, in 2030. So, and its first flight is expected around tw the 2017-2018 time frame, with uh, the Orion spacecraft sitting on top of it about uh, the 2021 time frame. So there are there there are things going on here, and 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 again, our commercial spaceflight uh, endeavors um, with Dream Chaser, with uh, Dragon, with uh, Boeing CST one hundred, all of that is going to be coming on coming online around the twenty seventeen twenty eighteen budget time frame budget permitting. So NASA is not just sitting here twiddling its thumbs. And we have various planetary spacecraft already delivering data to us. You know, I, I do applaud China for what they did. Um, there's been a lot of you know hullabaloo about you know the Chinese possibly overtaking us in space. Well, okay, they they've landed a, a rover on the moon, and that is no small achievement. I can't take that away from them. But just a, a reminder: we have two rovers on the surface of Mars right now. And I don't know how many interplanetary spacecraft that we are using currently to gather data about, about the solar system and about our universe. 
So NASA's not exactly standing still. You're still getting a lot of bang for your buck, even though the shuttles are now sitting in museums somewhere. Shuttle program's over, but NASA isn't. And, and that's a message that we need to get out there. And I think NASA's having problems getting it out there. And I think uh, uh, those of us who care about the program are also having some issues getting, getting that out there. But uh, eventually it'll, it'll sink in. But um, I, I wanted to address this note for the simple reason that this cannot be further from the truth. I don't want to say ignorant, but that's the only word that comes to my mind right now. And, um, but ignorance can be combated. And um, I'm hoping that I've given enough resources to, uh, to Mr. M, if, if he or she is listening, uh, to go ahead and take a look at and see for themselves that their tax dollar and their investment in, in the National Aeronautics and Space Administration is not being wasted by any stretch of the imagination. I hope uh, they'll go ahead and see that eventually. Exactly. I mean, there's guaranteed to be plenty of people like this. I've spoken to many of them in real life who question why we're spending all this money in space. And I think you summarized it pretty well. It's just, you know, there's a lot that comes out of not just NASA, but out of all the different agencies doing all of this different research and not on Earth, not necessarily just the space station, but including planetary science. It's it's giving us new information, new technologies and setting us up for the future of humanity, whether that be in our lifetime or not. So, Yeah, sorry. One of, one of the fallacies is that it's all spent up there. Uh-uh. It's not spent all up there. It's all spent down here. It takes engineers to build these things and design them. It takes people to maintain them once they're on orbit. It takes people to fly them. It takes people to maintain facilities down here to go ahead and, and maintain the facilities up there. So, you know, we're not talking about hamburger flipping jobs here. We're talking about jobs that are, are critical for the nation's future. And uh, if we walk off the field now, we're going to lose that resource. And that's not, not a good resource to lose, especially when other players are walking on this field right now. My turn. I've got some different thoughts. Something that I think is incredibly valuable is a, a variety of things that excite, inspire, and give us direction in our lives. And last week we talked to Liz Warren from the International Space Station Program Science Office. And we got off on a bit of a tangent perhaps about science fiction and how science fiction sometimes inspires you and, and gives you a direction maybe uh, as a young person growing up or, or whatever age, but it does something different that, that changes where your, your life might otherwise go. I would like to suggest that the value, which is beyond what you can put in dollars and cents, but I think the value far exceeds the actual cost of our space program, is the inspiration that it gives. I doubt there is any way that you could count and find out how many boys and girls, teenagers, young men and women, maybe even some that change careers later in life, and have some part of what caused to, to give them a direction that might be to something like computer software. It could be simply 
a, a, a something in the field of technology. Could be somebody that goes into an engineering field. May not be related to the space program, but something that maybe got a spark from our space program. And if you took all of those people away, if you if they just disappeared out of our out of our society, you would probably find that all of a sudden we were a far less capable both U.S. and, and world community for the loss of, of that talent that was developed because it got interested in something, maybe at a young age, maybe at some other age. So I think there's a value just in that by itself, never mind the science and all of the other things. Yeah, indeed, Mark. I mean, good point. Um, as far as you know, inspiring, inspiring the next generation to to, to strive to be better than what they are. And I, I can't think of anything else that would, I mean, that's what inspired me when I was a little kid during, during the Apollo era watching all of this. And that's what got me, you know, essentially hooked on it. So, you know, bravo for, for pointing that out. I am going to point out one other thing before, before we leave this topic. Wayne Hill, who was a former... Uh, NASA associate administrator. Uh, he worked for the uh, the shuttle program for for the longest time, uh, from uh, being in mission control all the way up to being the the program manager. He gave an interesting speech about space, um, and um, the title of it, and I've quoted it on on several occasions, either on this program or somewhere on my Twitter feed. If you follow me on Twitter. It's it's called you know it's our choice really. I'm going to go ahead and find it and and have uh, have that in, incorporated in, into the show notes. So uh, I would suggest you read about it. And again, it, it covers uh, the history of uh, of Ming Dynasty China and what happened when they withdrew from uh, from the scene, if you will. So uh, take a look at it. And it's a choice really. Um, do we want to essentially evaporate? the same way Ming Dynasty China did 500 years ago and, and fall into disarray as a result of not striving outward and not going outward? Or do we want to continue to go ahead and, and strive and realize that you know taking risks is a good thing and developing new technology is a good thing? So again, I'll, I'll invite you guys to look at it. We'll try to see if I can find it up for the show notes this week. And again, we encourage everyone to send in listener letters whether that be pro or against our opinions you know we're we're open to anything and everything and that's why we are a free and open exchange of all things space so send us your thoughts email them mailbag at talkingspaceonline.com twitter at talkingspace facebook.com slash talkingspace you can post it there as well we read them all we check them all and we thank you all for sending those in so with that, that brings the final regular episode of 2013 to its conclusion. I'd like to thank everybody who joined us here tonight. Thank you for joining us, Gene McCulka. Thank you, Sawyer. And again, uh, Merry Christmas, Happy Kwanzaa, and uh, you know, hats off to whatever you're celebrating. Uh, hope it's uh, a great holiday for you. Happy holidays and Happy New Year in general. And thanks all for joining us, Mark Ratterman. Just tell the world the next few weeks needs to be quiet in the world of space news. Of course, we'll try and catch up whatever does happen, but it's been a good year. 
Oh, yes, it has. It's been an amazing space year. In fact, it's been an amazing last space four years. And because of that, don't miss next week's end-of-year special, where we take a look back at our favorite space events that happened to us in the last five years almost, over the last five seasons of Talking Space. So we hope you'll join us for that and Mark's very special show to start off 2014. But until then, as always, have a great day, night, evening, or whatever it may be, where you are. Thank you.